from the Gospel of Mark, beginning in the 11th chapter in the first verse. As they approached Jerusalem at Bethpage and Bethany, near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? You say, The Lord has need of it, and immediately he will send it back here. They went and found a colt tied at the door outside in the street, and they untied it. Some of the bystanders were saying to them, What are you doing untying the colt? They spoke to them just as Jesus had told them, and they gave them permission. They brought the colt to Jesus and put their coats on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their coats in the road, and others spread leafy branches, which they had cut from the fields. Those who went in front and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Would you pray with me? Oh, Lord Jesus, we have come into your house today, as always, to worship, to thank you, to lift you up in our praises. Lord, you deserve everything that we have. These days, this coming week is so full of memories for each one of us, for the things that you have done on our behalf. And there's nothing that we can do, no way that we could earn it. There's no sufficient thanks, but everything we are this moment We open our hands, our hearts to you, and we confess before each other, before the world, proudly, that we are yours. Help us, forgive us of ways that we have fallen short. Cleanse us so that we may draw close to you, and in this hour, we may feel your spirit. Help us to give everything that you deserve. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't think that we can fully imagine the chaos, the craziness, the energy of that first Palm Sunday that's recorded in the Gospel of Mark. This Palm Sunday intersects with Passover, and uh, the, the population of Jerusalem would literally just explode. It would just increase by 10 or maybe even 30 fold. It was a high energy time. The the estimates vary greatly. Uh, And usually, a low estimate in the the city of Jerusalem, the population was probably about 100,000. Again, the the estimates vary. But conservatively, 100,000. Some say that during the Passover, which was uh, an incredibly important festival, that the population would grow from 100,000 to a million people. A million people. And some say the high-end estimates are as many as 3 million people. Can you imagine that? If the city of Sanford went from what it is to 30-fold, talk about traffic jams. The only thing that I could imagine that kind of came close to it is is, uh, New Year's Eve in Times Square. And uh, I've been told that about 100,000 people pack into Times Square every year. Sandy and I went to, to, uh, to New York City on our anniversary, our 30th wedding anniversary, and uh, we were over the, over the holiday, over the New Year's, and of course, I'm the one that said, hey, Sandy, let's go down to Times Square. And Sandy said, no. <laughs> 
because between the two of us, she's got more sense. She just said, no, we aren't doing that. I talked her into coming about maybe a block and a half away, and even a block and a half away, 100,000 people packed in was absolute chaos. Now take that 100,000, multiply it by 10 or 30 times, not in the broad streets of New York City, but in the narrow streets, the dirt streets of Jerusalem, a million people. The Passover crowds were gathering from all over that part of the world. They'd have ships that were coming in from all over the Mediterranean. There were people that were coming by foot and caravans, and, and, and it must have just all converged, and it must have been chaos. Uh, several years ago, Sandy and I got to go to Jerusalem, and we walked through the, the place that, that, where they sold all of their goods and everything, and it was chaos even then. People would literally come out into the street and pull you into their store, or they'd stand in the doorway, my friend, my friend, come, come. And it was chaos then. And it must have been like a carnival with just scores of people pulsing with excitement, throbbing with activity. And on top of all of that, on top of all of that, the murmuring must have begun. The murmuring. Have you heard? Have you heard about this Jesus? He's coming this way. He's coming this way. Have you heard about the miracles? I heard he fed 5,000. I heard it was 3,000. No, it was 5,000 people. No. Yes, really? I heard he raised someone from the dead. No, it can't be. Really? Could it be? All the miracles, he fits the bill, he, 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 the puzzle pieces are all following together, he fulfills all of the prophecies, and don't we need a Savior? Don't we need a Savior? I'm so sick of these Romans, I'm so weary of their oppression. Don't we desperately need a Savior? And then throughout all of Jerusalem, somebody, someone had to be the first one, let's go out. Let's go out and meet him. And there were scores of people coming with him from northern Israel. And now all the people are coming out, not all of them, but the estimates are as many as 15,000 people between those that were coming with him and those that were going out to meet him. 15,000. And as they fight to get to the front, can't you imagine? Have you ever done that? You want your child to be able to see and say so you're fighting and just pushing forward to be able to see. And there he is. There he is. And he's riding on a donkey. And maybe the more devout in the crowd, they may have whispered, Zechariah. Zechariah, Zechariah, what? What about Zechariah? Don't you remember the prophecy? Zechariah 9, 9, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey, 500 years before the birth of Jesus. And all of a sudden, the murmuring gets louder. It's louder, and it starts to build. He fits. He's the one. I know he's the Messiah. Messiah. He's got to be the one. I see him. I can see him. I can feel it in my bones. He's the one. In the midst of all of that energy and all of that excitement, what else can you do but just 
overflow and all of a sudden out of your mouth, deep from your heart, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna meaning do save us. Save us, Lord, except it's called, it's in the imperative form. You know what that means? It's a command. You've got to save us. You've got to do it. You must save us. Except what? Except Jesus didn't exactly act like the Savior that they expected. Not the one they wanted. And he didn't get rid of the Romans. In fact, he didn't seem to care about them one way or the other. And so just hours apart from Hosanna, do save us, please, you must save us, crying, ringing off of the walls, echoing down the narrow streets, palms laid out before him, jackets, clothes pulled off to, to, to welcome the new conquering king. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Just literally hours later, Matthew 27. But they kept shouting all the more saying, crucify him. Kill him. Kill him. Barabbas, we choose a murderer, a thief. Crucify him. Kill him. When someone doesn't fulfill our expectations, things can get ugly. They can get ugly quick. See, Jesus wasn't the Messiah they expected. But he was the perfect one that they needed. Where, where does that intersect in our life? Have you ever had an expectation that wasn't met? A dream that wasn't fulfilled? And the temptation is to cry out even angrily at God. I was thinking about this this week, and I, I think the one that came to my mind was uh, 1980, I was commissioned as a second lieutenant and armor officer. That means tanks. And 1980, and for the rest of my military career, for the first 17 years anyway, I had one focus and one goal. There was one professional desire, and that was to be a tank battalion commander. That was all I wanted. It was everything to me. For 17 years, I worked toward that. Just one single-minded thought. That's what I wanted. I sacrificed my knees for that job. I sacrificed time with my sweet family. I worked through ulcers to try to achieve that goal. And 17 years later, I found myself running my finger down a list of names to see if my name was on that list to command. And it wasn't. And I just felt so crushed. I think up to that point in my life, that was the most just absolute crushed I'd ever felt. I waited in the office until everyone was going to go, go home because I just, I didn't want to look Sandy in the eye and have to tell her. She didn't care. She didn't care a bit. But I just thought looking into her eyes would make it real when I said it. And then when I finally did get home to tell her, I opened my mouth and literally words wouldn't come out. 
at, at such moments, the temptation is to raise hands to God, to cry out to the heavens, why? Why is it like this? I've done everything that I was supposed to do. This isn't what I expected. This isn't what I wanted. Perhaps you too have experienced it. Maybe you're in the middle of something like that right now. This isn't what I wanted. And things can get ugly at moments like that. I've literally had a man tell me one time, I'm finished with God. I'm finished with him. Because he didn't meet my expectations. Except here's the thing. Looking back in my perfect hindsight, I can see now that if I'd been selected, if I'd got that dream job, I'd have spent another 15 years in the Army. I wouldn't have gone to seminary. And I wouldn't have the incredible gift of being a pastor. The joy and the fulfillment and the relationships in this place. And through all of that, looking back, I can say that I know that God had and has a perfect plan to prepare me and you for our heavenly home. Romans 8.28, we have it cross-stitched in our homes. We have a framed copy in the hallway. We know it well, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. All things. We kind of read that, that God's going to cause nothing but good things to happen in our life. That's not what it says. It says that he's going to use all the things, some of the things that we call good and some of the things that we call bad, he's going to use all of those things for our good. And the truth is, the truth is, from my little perspective, sometimes I don't know which is good and which is bad. I think sometimes, but in hindsight, I realize it wasn't as good as I thought. In fact, some theologians have said, and I believe it to be true, that God's answer to you is always yes. Do you believe that? 2 Corinthians 1.20, For as many are the promises of God, in him they are yes. Therefore, also through him is our amen to the glory of God through us. And the way that I read that is even if God says to you in, in this immediate way, whatever it is, no, you can't have that, no, what he's really saying is, no, because I have something better for you just down the road. Or no, that thing that you think is very good is going to be nothing but hardship for you. And therefore, says the scriptures, we can thankfully offer our amen in return. Our, yes, Lord, let it be. May your will be done in our lives. What happened on that first Palm Sunday? What turned so ugly so quickly is when human expectations weren't met. But listen, this is important. A great precept of life, the life of faith, isn't just looking backwards and being able to praise God for the storms that he's brought you through. That's not faith at all, really. I mean, it's good to think back about God, and it's good to praise him for what he's brought you through, but that's not faith. That's just memory, right? What is faith is when you're in the storm right now where you don't understand why your expectation is being met. You don't understand why you're going through the storm, and you say, I'm going to choose to say amen. And I know that God has a good plan for me because why? Because he is perfect in his love and there's not a hint of darkness. And no, I don't understand it, but I believe and that's 
faith. And here's what's going to happen when you do that. You're going to feel the weight lifted off your shoulders. You may even find joy in difficult moments. Jesus may not be the Messiah that we expect, but he will always be the perfect one that we need. Can I get an amen this morning? Which leads to our second intersection of faith. That's choose, choose to praise God even when you don't understand. This is another great principle of faith for me. I, I really believe it to be true. The, the Jewish people waved the palms and they shouted joyfully and they quoted the famous Psalm 118, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. This psalm was said every year. It was spoken, it was sung during the Passover. And we know that this psalm is part of a a larger group of psalms called the Hallel Psalms or the the Praise Psalms. Like Psalm 116. I want you to watch this. Watch this now. See if the, the theologians in the group will be able to see what's going on. See if you can kind of categorize the emotions. Psalm 116.1 begins, I love the Lord because he hears my voice and my supplication. Because he has inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I shall call upon him as long as I live. Everything's going great, right? Verse 3, the cords of death encompassed me, and the terrors of Sheol came upon me. I found distress and sorrow. Then I called upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I beseech you, save my life. Verse 7, return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have rescued my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. Do you see the faith? principle there the psalmist in the middle of great distress and sorrow chose to hallel chose to praise God and here's the great truth that I see in the scriptures and I sometimes on my better days have experienced in my own life the sooner we stop and we praise God even in the storm the sooner the storm will pass. I believe that with everything I am. See, I think that one of the purposes of tribulation is what? Is to refine us. Sometimes it's to make us turn back to our Heavenly Father. You know, maybe we've gone our own way. Maybe we're gone off the track. And so tribulation comes. It's there to refine us, to take the impurities out of our life. But the sooner, even in the storm, in the midst of that tribulation, that we can turn to God, Show our trust and our faith and our confidence in him. The sooner we'll be finished with the lesson and the sooner he'll bring us through it. Does that make sense to you? Does it make sense to you? To praise God. That's a master's level of faith, but I tell you, I think it's worth the work. You don't want to stay in the storm, do you? So take the example of the scripture and say, I'm going to choose to praise God even when I can't see it. Because he's met every one of our needs. Lastly, in our video today, we're introduced to a little donkey named Felix. And if you search the Bible for Felix, the donkey, you will not find him. It's what uh, theologians call extra canonical. And that's a fancy way of saying made up. 
I hope you don't think I was, uh, uh, the story of Felix is disrespectful or flippant. It certainly made me laugh and it made me cry just a little because I think it communicates a great truth. God can use your small yes greatly in the kingdom of heaven. We don't know the family that allowed the two apostles to take the donkey, but we know that they gave what they had with their small yes. It reminds me of the story of the widow's might in in Mark 11. It says 12 uh, 12 and 41. It says, and he sat down opposite the treasury and began observing how the people were putting money into the treasury. And many rich people were putting in large sums. And a poor woman, a poor widow, came and put in two small copper coins, which amount to a cent. Calling his disciples to him, he said to them, truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributors to the treasury for they all put in out of their surplus but she put she out of her poverty put in all she owned all she had to live on now 2,000 years later who's remembered who's the hero who's the one that we're called to emulate it's the poor widow right with her two small coins And I tell you this, I believe with all my heart that this poor widow is now great in the kingdom of heaven. Listen, everyone, regardless of your social standing, your financial wealth, all we have to offer is a small yes. I don't care if you're a millionaire or a pauper. Compared to the kingdom of heaven and God, anything that we give is going to be what? It's going to be a small yes. But we're not discouraged by that. Put your small yes on the table and see what God can do with it. I think that's what's wonderful about what Belinda shared today. About all those children, we don't expect much from our kids. They're just kids, right? But when they use their gifts, they're great in the kingdom of heaven. So many of us, listen, we look around and we go, I don't have anything to offer. I don't have anything to offer. I didn't get much education. I haven't accomplished much compared to the rest of the world. Listen, if you give what you have from your heart, just stand back and see what God can do with it. That means that every one of us here today can be great in the kingdom of God. Not because we desire to be great, but because we desire to be great for the king. The kids have their little gift, but boy, they can use it. And you know what I've experienced in my life? Sometimes when I say I'm going to do this big thing and I'm going to, you know, it's going to be a big thing for the kingdom, most of those just turn out flat. But when I'm just available, when I just say yes to that person that's in front of me, those are the opportunities you've got to be great in his kingdom. Don't ever think that you don't have a lot to contribute. Be open-handed with the things that God has allowed you to be in possession of and care for. Offer what you have, but also who you are, and just see how God will use you. Because every one of us here today would agree what? He deserves our very best. He may not be the Messiah that any of us expected, but he is the one, the perfect one that we needed. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, help us to see you. Help us to see you in our mind and in our hearts.
Help us to hear your words. Help us to see you riding humbly on a donkey when you deserve so much more, when you gave up so much more for us. Help us to respond. I just think every year as we enter Palm Sunday, how you listen to the the praises and the hosannas and the affection and the promises that were made, looking into each face, knowing that just days away, how cruelly things would change, and still you came. Such love. Such love. Help us to love as you love. Help us to give generously, joyously, not only of what we have, but who we are. And we will trust you to use it mightily for your kingdom and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Instead of our normal invitation, we're going to use this opportunity to do an invitation to bring your Annie Armstrong offering. Some of you may have already given, and that's wonderful. We appreciate that. But uh, as we sing this one last song, if you'll come forward, you'll bring your, your envelope or your offering and, and just place, place it in this, uh, this basket. Now, at such moments, we should be careful. And just remember that we're not doing this as a show because we would lose any blessing. But what we're doing is we're bringing our small yes and asking God to bless it out of our thankfulness and humility for what he has done for us. Take this small yes, Lord, and use it mightily. Scott, would you lead us in one last song? Won't you come? Would you stand?